Okay, so we finished up Ephesians chapter 3 last week, and we will jump into chapter 4 tonight. To go back and recap just a little bit, uh, and it's necessary because in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I therefore. So we have to go back and kind of review what that means. So as we've said before, when you see the word therefore or wherefore, they kind of mean the same thing. It means because of the things I just said, this is the case. So we have to remind ourselves what we talked about last week uh, before we get into uh, chapter 4. So in chapter 3, verse number um, 14, Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, this, for this cause, this is why I pray uh, for you, for the, for the people reading this, for the Jews and the Gentiles. He said, uh, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you. So this is the prayer that Paul was playing, that he would grant us according to the riches of his grace uh, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. And boy, don't we need that today to be strengthened with might in our inner man in the world, the crazy things that are going on. And then in verse 17, he said that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. And not only that, but also to know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. So then we get down to chapter 4, verse number 1, and he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So he's saying, with all these things that I'm praying for, all these things that, that God has done, that he, uh, his power, that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, and it, that we be filled with the fullness of God. He said, because of those things, I beseech you. Now, here where he says that he's the prisoner of the Lord, uh, it's kind of funny that a man who is in prison says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. So what he was saying is, is I'm not a prisoner of Nero. I'm not here because he's a great king. I'm an apostle of God, and I'm here because that's what, where God has placed me, and it's inside the will of God, and not always, listen, so many people think that if you're having trouble, if you have problems, you're out of the will of God. And if everything in your life is going great, you must be doing something right. Well, that's not always the case. Sometimes the hardest roads we walk is when we're doing the will of God. Paul had a hard road. The apostles, uh, the disciples, they all had hard roads. They were all put to death. That's a pretty hard road. So they didn't have, I mean, they, they, were, they, they lived with Christ. They learned under Christ. They, they knew him personally, and yet they had a tough road. So we, we have to get it out of our minds, and, and it happens to all of us. 
something bad happens and we stop and we think, man, what did I do to deserve this? I must have done something. And we look at somebody else's life and say, well, I don't know what they did, but God's really punishing them. That's what they said to Job. Well, Job had to do something bad for all this bad to happen to him. Job walked that tough road because it was God's will that he walked that tough road. And when Job come out on the other side, see, this is what we always have to remember. The darkest times in our lives and the hardest things that we face, when we get through it, we're a much better person than we were when we went into it. So sometimes, and I am convinced of this, I am convinced that God wants a relationship with us and sometimes if he has to put us in a situation to where we feel like we need him so that that relationship can be restored, we might have to walk a tough road if we've strayed away. I look at it as my children. Maybe uh, my sons, when they were little, they, they were going to the friend's house. They were doing all this other stuff. Well, I might, I might ground them, make them stay at home. Why? Because I want them to be with me, right? So he said that he's not a... He's not a prisoner of Nero. He's a prisoner of God. He's there on, uh, because of God, uh, because God allowed it to happen, not because of anything that man did. Who is man? Who, who is man that can, that can stand up before God? It doesn't matter to me if it was Pharaoh. It doesn't matter if it's uh, the president of the United States, uh, the president of Germany, or anybody else. Nobody has any power except they be given to them by God in heaven. So we don't have to worry about uh, what man can do to us. And so he says, I beseech you. Now, that word beseech means to beg or plead with or to ask earnestly. So he says, I beg of you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. So... We've went through uh, several chapters here in Ephesians and we saw that uh, Paul was saying that there is the, the law is done away with. There is no law. That the only law we have is the Holy Spirit of God that lives within our heart, that directs our path and, and, and convicts us of sin and tells us what's right and what's wrong. That's the law. That, that all these things that sometimes as humans we put in place, that you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to live right and, and all that, uh, that he says that is gone away, it's done, that we're, that we're not bound by the law. But then in chapter number 4, after Paul has said all this, then he comes in and says that we should walk worthy of the vocation where we, we are called. So that word walk worthy we should live our life as proper representatives of the gospel message. You see, we're children of the king. And we have to walk like children of the king. We can't, we can't live our lives like we're children of some homeless beggar. We're children of the king. And because God's our father and Jesus Christ is our savior, we have a responsibility to walk worthy of that calling in which we were called. We were called to be sons of God and children of God. And we, the Holy Spirit of God convicted us. And now that we're there, he says, I beg of you, I beseech you, walk worthy. Live your life as a representative of God, of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he said, Only let your conversation, and that word conversation means lifestyle, 
Only let your lifestyle be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. So what is the gospel of Christ? That agape love that we talked about. That he gave himself for people that didn't deserve it. So then he says, let our lifestyle be that which becometh the gospel of Christ. But do we always do that? Do we forgive people that do us wrong, even when they don't deserve it? Do we reconcile with people? See, because God reconciled with us. We were lost and, and we were sinful and we were unworthy, but he reconciled with us. And not only that, but he said that he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. So we're supposed to be helping other people reconcile with God. But not only that, we should be reconciling with other people. But what do we do? We get in the flesh and we get angry. We hold grudges and we attack people and we talk about people and we say things about them behind their back and we put people down. And then when, when somebody's in the church and they, they, they do the wrong thing, you know, we, we attack them and, and we talk bad about people. And he says that we should live our lifestyle as it becometh the gospel of Christ. He said that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 and 17, he says, In what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And he's not talking about this church building because he says next, For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then Paul says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. So if we, if we got the idea in chapters 1 through 3 that Paul was preaching a gospel that we can just live any way we want and we don't have to have any morals and we don't have to have any standards. That by far was not anything that he intended and that is not what he meant at all. We have an obligation. We must walk worthy to the vocation that wherewith we were called. That we must come out from among them and be you separate. We can't live like the world, talk like the world, dress like the world, and be like the world, and act like the world, and then turn around in the next breath and talk about how much we love God. We have to live a separated life. But we live it because He, see, we love Him because He first loved us. And He said, if you love me, Jesus Christ said it himself. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, act like it. If you love me, listen to what I say. Is that not what we tell our children? Our, our kids just did everything that we, everything we told them not to do, they just did. Those things we told them to do, they didn't do. And so we're standing there, we're going, you didn't do anything I told you to do. They just look at you and go, well, Dad, I love you. Well, apparently not, because if you love me, you'd do what I ask. So that's what Jesus said. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So we have an obligation to walk worthy. Now that vocation wherewith you're called, that word vocation actually means calling. So really what he's saying is, is walk worthy of the calling you are called to. So we were called to be sons of God. 
and uh, daughters of God. We're children of God. That's what we were called to be. And that's what we became. And now he says, all I expect is that you kind of act like you're a Christian. See, the word Christian uh, came about because they, they uh, said that people were living Christ-like. And that's where the word Christian came from, Christ-like. They were first called Christians because of that. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.20, so what is that vocation? What is the calling in which we're called to? Some people say, well, you were called to preach. Brother Gary was called to preach. He was called to pastor the church. Uh, I wasn't called to do anything. I don't teach a Sunday school class. I don't lead the singing. I don't do anything. God hasn't called me to do anything. Oh, contrary. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul said, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. So what is an ambassador? That's a representative. That's one person. See, we have ambassadors to the United States, to other countries. And when that person is in another country, they represent not a continent. They represent people. They represent us. They represent us united as a nation. And what they say is not their opinion. It is on behalf of the entire country. And sometimes ambassadors will have to say things that they don't even like because it's not, it, it's not their opinion. It's what they were, the message they were sent to tell. We tell our ambassadors, you go tell uh, Putin this. They may not agree with that stance. They may not agree with that policy, but that doesn't give them the option to change the message because they're not representing themselves or their own opinions or their own ideas. They're representing the United States of America. So as ambassadors for Christ, my opinion, and see, if we could just get our heads wrapped around that as children of God, that our opinions don't mean anything. I have heard it, and if you've been in church any amount of time, and especially if you've been counseling people or, uh, or been called into the ministry, I've heard this more times than I can count. People ask me a question, and I, I try my best to always answer their question with Scripture. So, you know, and I, I've told people before, don't get mad at me. I didn't say it. I just read it to you. <laughs> you know, so don't, don't, don't get up. And people get upset with me because I read them a scripture and it goes against what they want or what they think. So I've heard people so many times say, well, I know that's what the Bible says, but there's no but. <laughs> There's no, there's no, but that doesn't apply to me. But I don't think, I don't feel like that. I, th I think it's different now. See, it's, it's not what we think or what we feel. It's what God said. And we're not, I'm not, I'm not here tonight as a representative of Terry Hommel. I'm here tonight as a representative of Christ the Lord. And I am have an obligation to read his word and to teach his word. We all have an obligation to live according to his word because we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives for him in this world in which we live. Now, he said that we should walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. Now, Paul gets kind of rough. Okay? Now, now he's setting the bar high. He, he, you know, that's fine for him to say walk worthy of the vocation. But then he, he does the bad thing. And sometimes as preachers, we make this mistake and we actually give details. 
And the details is what rubs people the wrong way. When you start, if you preach against sin, everybody will shout. But when you preach against their sin and you name their sin, they start throwing stuff at you. They get mad and leave the church and they go talk about you and they do all this other stuff. And you know, the thing about it is, I've had so many people after I preach a message come and say, well, who told you that I was doing that? I didn't know anything. So you, everybody has to understand, just because the preacher preached against something and called a sin by name doesn't mean that he knows you did it. Most likely, he probably doesn't know you did it, and he probably doesn't know why God told him to say that, but he said it, and we're not all knowing all wise. We don't know everybody's lifestyle and what everybody does. But then Paul gets real specific, uh, and he says... So how are we supposed to walk uh, according to this calling? He says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Now that, that doesn't sound too harsh, but when we really get into what in the world he's talking about here, <laughs> he's laying down the law. So when he says to walk with all lowliness, that means humility. And then meekness uh, means be gentle. And long-suffering means to have patience. And forbearing, listen to what forbearing means. The word forbearing means to put up with or to endure. That's what forbearing means. And then he goes on to say uh, one another in love. And that word love is that Greek word agape, which means charity. It means a love that you give to somebody and expect nothing in return. So now let's take what Paul said and let's kind of put that into our everyday language. So this is what that verse says. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, put up with each other in love expecting nothing in return from anyone else. So when somebody attacks us, are we supposed to attack back? No, we're supposed to put up with them in the agape love. We're supposed to endure them even though they're in the wrong and we're in the right. That doesn't matter. I remember uh, my dad told me right soon after I got married, when, when my wife and I, when we had our first argument, and I go to him and I thought, you know, we, we were in love, and we weren't supposed to argue. Married, married people that love each other don't argue. So we got into an argument, and I thought it was over. I thought, well, this is not supposed to be how it happened. So I talked to my dad, and when I told him what we argued about, which, uh, as usual, was something silly, he looked at me, and he said, Son, the only thing I can tell you is you can either be right or you can be happy, but you can't be both. And what I was doing is I was trying to prove to my wife that I was right. And I wasn't happy. So he said, quit trying to prove how right you are and just be happy. Because when she's happy, you can be happy. If she's not happy, you're not happy. But that's what Paul was saying here. He says that we should be humble and we should be gentle. Is that the average Christian today? No, we walk around with our chest stuck out, proud. And we, we're not gentle. If somebody crosses us, we attack them. If somebody doesn't do what we think they should do, we put them down. And we tell them, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Well, you better be careful. You may not have much left. 
But he says that we should have patience with people, with each other. We should be humble and gentle and have patience and put up with each other, endure each other, expecting nothing in return and love them, love each other. In verse number three, he goes on and says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now that word endeavoring means to make an effort to keep the unity. So that's, that should be our effort. So Paul says this is, this is where your effort should be is to keep peace and unity with each other. We, 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 we shouldn't seek out arguments. We shouldn't seek out fights. We shouldn't seek that out. But we should endeavor. We should make an effort to keep the unity. And in that bond of peace means the uniting principle of peace. So here's really what Paul is saying, that we should endeavor, we should purpose in our hearts to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So what is it that bonds us together? It's love and it's peace. You see, what's the opposite of peace? Hatred and chaos. That's what destroys a church. That's what destroys a family. That's what destroys a Christian relationship with a brother or a sister in Christ. And he says that we are bound together with peace. And when I think about being bound together, you take two pieces of wood and you put some wood glue on there and you put them on clamps and you let those things, uh, you let that uh, glue dry and set up real hard, then try to take those two boards back apart. You'll destroy both boards because they're bound together. They are now one. And that's what we are. As, as a body of Christ, we are one. And if we try to tear it apart, it will destroy both. It will destroy you and it will destroy me. Then Paul goes on. Um, and, well, let me read this verse. So Psalms 133.1, he says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You see, that's what we should be in unity. And then he said in Romans 12, 18, if it be possible, if it's at all possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Does that sound like somebody that gives you a piece of their mind? Does that sound like something? Well, I'm not going to let them push me around. Well, he said, we endure. We, we put up with each other. And as much as possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind, and in the same judgment. You say, well, how can we be perfectly joined together in unity of the same mind and the same judgment when we don't agree on whether or not we should pave the parking lot or whether or not we should put stripes on the parking lot or whether or not we should put a new roof on the church or whatever. You see, it's those kind of things that cause divisions in a church. Rarely is it something important, just to be honest with you. It's usually something silly, just like it is in a marriage. It's usually something silly. The, the 
most heated arguments that we have with our spouse is most likely over something silly. That in the great scheme of life doesn't even matter. But you see, Paul says that we should dwell together in unity. Now, we got to notice something here. As we read verses 4 down through verse number 6, I want you to take note of two words. There's two words that occur many times in these verses of Scripture, and that is the word one and the word all. So understand, Paul just told us that we should make an effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We should be one. Then in verse number 4, he says, There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Now, we got to remember, this was at a time when the Gentiles, Paul was sent to preach the gospel message to the Gentiles. And the Jews had a problem with that. And that's why they were trying to kill him. So there was, there was a great divide between Jews and Gentiles. But Paul's trying to tell them, no, no, no. You're coming together. So when he says this, he's saying it to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And he says that you're one body and one spirit and are called in one hope. There's only one Lord, one faith, one ba There's not a God for the Jews and a God for the Gentiles. There's only one. There's only one Father. And he's not just the Father of me. He's the Father of us all. And he goes on to say that he is above all. Now, why would Paul say that? Why would Paul say that God is above all? Because sometimes we forget that, don't we? Sometimes we think we know more than God. That's what people say when they say, well, I know the Bible says that, but I don't, I don't really think that matters. I don't really think uh, it matters. God really don't care. You know something? If, God, if it didn't matter to God, he probably wouldn't have wasted his time having it written in, the, in, in his word. But he's telling... Now, when we, when we think about this, we could say, ah, oh, those, old, those old Jews and Gentiles back then, they didn't understand, and, and, and we're so much smarter now, and we're so educated now, and, and we're so much better Christians now than they were then. Really? How many different denominations of churches do we have in a 10-mile radius of where we are? We're, we're as divided today in 2021 as we have ever been divided on this planet. We've got different churches preaching different doctrines, believing different things, more divided probably now than we ever were. And here's the thing, I have, I have been in churches to where they would not let the youth group go to another church's youth group event for fear that they might like that youth leader better and they would leave the church and go there. And churches, most churches won't come together. Most churches won't support another church's revival. And 
Is that the world in which we live in? Is that what Paul was talking about? We have to remember, it doesn't matter what denomination is on the sign. It doesn't matter what the church is called. It can be called a community church. It can be called uh, whatever. But it's one body. It's one spirit. It's one hope. It's one faith. It's one baptism. It's one God. He's the father of all. He's not just the father of the Baptist. And he's above all. He's through all and in you all. But yet, I was, I was talking to a man the other day, and this is what he told me. A good friend of his was a Catholic, and he had been uh, an alcoholic and been addicted, and he was able to overcome that. Uh, through prayer and through faith, he was able to overcome that. And now he speaks to people and talks about the alcohol addiction and what causes it and his experience. So this man wanted his friend to come to their church and just talk to people about addiction so people could understand addiction and understand what alcoholics go through and how they think and how they feel and why they do the things that they do because probably some of those folks have friends or loved ones that, that are going through that. This is what the pastor told him. No, he's a Catholic. He can't come and speak in our church. He's, he's not preaching. He's not teaching doctrine. He's coming to speak about addiction. Nope. Wouldn't even allow him to come and address folks and talk about how to overcome addiction because he wasn't a Baptist. That doesn't sound like one faith, one body one hope, one Lord. But is that, not, is that not where we are as a society? That's where we are. We must realize that the church down the street or across town that has a different denomination on the sign is not the enemy. We are fighting the same battle against the same foe. We may, listen, we may have different worship styles. There's, there's churches that, that have music that I don't like. That doesn't mean it's sinful just because it's not the kind of music I like. I've got news for everybody. There are people that don't like the music that we have here at this church. And they would not attend this church because they don't like the music. Does that mean our music is sinful? No, it means that we all have different tastes in the style of music. And any style of music can can uplift the Lord Jesus Christ and, and bring glory to God. I, my, my grandmother grew up and there was never a piano in the church because pianos were sinful. They're, they, they're in bars and honky-tonks. So you can't have a piano in church. A piano that praises the devil on Saturday night can't praise God on Sunday morning. That's what was said. We couldn't imagine our church without a piano. What would our music program be without a piano? It would still be good, but let's face it, it wouldn't be as good. Now, we, we're really way out there. We have pianos, we have guitars, we have mandolins, we've got all this other stuff. We're really in bad shape because my grandmother, they, they wouldn't have put up with a piano, much less all that other stuff. But you see, Paul says, no, no. We've got to come together in unity. 
that God's, it's all one. I got a quote from Warren Wiersbe. This is good. He said, unity is not uniformity. Unity comes from within and is a spiritual grace, while uniformity is the result of pressure from without. So let's talk about what that means to us. Uniformity is legalism. You must walk like I walk and talk like I talk and live like I live and dress like I dress or else you're out. That's uniformity. That's not unity. Forcing people to do things that they don't necessarily believe or want to do because you think it's the right thing. That's legalism and that's uniformity. Unity is when I love Brother Aaron because he's Brother Aaron, not because he thinks that he likes the same team I like. Or not because that he likes his grass the same way I like to cut my grass. Or not because I like the color of his house or anything else about him. We, can, we cannot agree with every single thing in life but still love each other and still be in, be in unity. Unity is based on love, which brings forgiveness and understanding. If we are truly unified in love, we forgive each other and we approach people with meekness and humility and we understand and we, most of all, what I love about what Paul said here, we endure each other. <laughs> we put up with each other and we don't get mad, we don't fly off the handle and we don't take our ball and go home. We don't all have to wear the same kind of clothes or wear our hair the same way or do whatever. We can still be unified. Okay, so we'll stop there and pick up in verse number 7 next week.